Thank you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we come to you today in this first day of the Advent season where we are reminded that you came as a little bitty baby, uh, but that was not the final goal, to stay in the manger. The final goal was to walk to the cross, uh, to pay for our sins, to provide us salvation. And so, Lord, we come thanking you for um, the reminder of who you are and what your mission was and the reminder that you are also going to come again. Advent is also about your second coming. And here we are on this side of your birth, on this side of your crucifixion, waiting for you to come again. So we pray, Lord, that you would return quickly. We come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Nice and spread out here. Nice and spread out. Good to see everybody here. Uh, we want to continue to pray for our community. We want to continue to pray because uh, this, this COVID thing just does not go away, and we know that there are a lot of people affected by it in our community right now. A lot going on in the schools, um, and so we want to pray for those kids as they are uh, marching towards the holiday season, uh, still with school. Pray for the families who are affected, and we can see kind of here that you know, we're a little down in numbers because uh, things are happening in our community, so we want to continue to pray for our friends and family in that. Um, here we are, first week of Advent. I love Advent. Love Advent. I, I didn't come from a liturgical background or a background that did a lot of, you know, the church traditional things and services, and, but I love Advent. Uh, thank you guys for kicking off our first Advent, um, and because it reminds us, it reminds us. Oftentimes, I kind of get stuck in that little little baby Jesus mode during Christmas, loving little baby Jesus. But again, that's that wasn't the, the final goal. He was to grow and walk. And this is what we're talking about as we study Luke. Jesus as the man on a mission, our Messiah, our Savior. And we're reminded through Advent, it's not just about Jesus' birth, leading, you know, leading up to Christmas, thinking about Jesus' birth. It's about what he's done and what he's doing, what he will continue to do, and his second coming. He's coming again. He is coming again. Praise the Lord for that, right? Praise the Lord. Uh, he came. Uh, the Messiah was promised, and he came. Jesus has promised he will come again, and so we can, we can be sure that what? He will come again, right? Praise the Lord. So we are going to be in Luke um, chapter 4, starting a new chapter today in the Gospel of Luke as we we walk and we, we find Jesus. We're in the study of finding Jesus, finding this true Jesus who walked here on the earth and who was our Savior, who was our Messiah, Savior of the world. Today we're going to take a peek at Jesus' temptations, the temptations of Jesus and what that means for us. So we've seen that Jesus steps onto the scene and he is a man on a mission. He's a man on a mission. God sending his Messiah down to, to fulfill the promises given in the Old Testament. We saw the announcement of Jesus and, and, and Mary and the angel and, and who Jesus is going to be and the promises given to, to Mary, promises given to Joseph as well. As if you look in the Gospel of Matthew, we see his birth. We saw, we looked at his birth and, and what that meant. Uh, we saw him as a young boy teaching in the temple teaching in the temple and, and listening and interacting with the religious leaders. Anybody here 12 years old, around 12 years old, 10, 11, 12? I see a couple of kids. All right, Jonathan, I want you to come up here, and I'm going to let you teach the Word. 
No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you sit down. <laughs> That's very good. Very good, though. No, appreciate you. He, he was ready to do it, and I bet you you could probably do it. I bet you could do it. Uh, so thank you very much for letting me call you out on that. Uh, but imagine this young man here interacting, and I think Jonathan could do this, uh, interacting with the religious leaders and giving words, not only just sitting there in the corner listening like we would think a, a good student does, but interacting and teaching the teachers, teaching the teachers in the temple. Amazing. We saw uh, two weeks ago, actually, no, no, last week we did the video because we were, well, anyway, I'm getting these days all mixed up. Anyway, we, we looked at the baptism. We looked at his baptism and what that meant, Jesus showing us that uh, he can relate to us, walking through the act. Of, does Jesus, perfect man, son of God, need to be baptized? I mean, like, need to be baptized. John's calling for a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. Does Jesus need to step through that? The answer is no. But he came here to relate to us, show that he knows who we are, what we're going through, and he came to uh, put himself in our place. Uh, we saw also his family of origin. We walked through his family of origin. Jesus comes from the same place that you and I come from. He had a family tree, right? He had a line of relatives. We looked at that a little bit, you know, and there was good in there, a lot of promises in there. Also, there's some questionable, sketchy stuff in there as well. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so Jesus <laughs> comes from where we come from as well. We just had Thanksgiving. You know, we sat around the table with some friends and family. And are there some friends and family who are like, well, we always have to bring them in. But, you know, the conversation's really awkward. And Jesus had those awkward family members. It's none of us. It's all the other people. Jesus had those awkward family members sitting around the table, you know, and he came from where we came from. And now we're going to see him go into the desert to walk through some temptations, some specific temptations. Um, and he is going to prove himself, all of these things, proving himself that, that he is the Messiah, the perfect son of Israel. He is the Messiah, the perfect son of Israel. It's interesting, these temptations, they, they, they follow along the lines of what Israel itself went through. And if you study the Old Testament, did Israel fulfill their promises? Did they walk in their promises? Did they, did they do what they needed to do all the time? No, they, they, they failed often. Why? Because they're like us, right? We're, 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 we, can, we can relate to what Jesus is going to go through here because these are some of the same struggles. These are some of the same temptations. These are some of the same trials that you and I are going to go through as well. Uh, Jesus steps on the scene, and he goes through his baptism. We, we looked at his genealogy, the temptation, around 30 A.D. or so, all right? Israel's wandering in the desert. We're going to see Jesus go into the desert, right? We talked a couple weeks ago about what the desert was. There were a lot of different meanings about the wilderness and the desert and what it was. We see Israel wandering in the desert about 1,400 years before Jesus, and Israel at that time, proves that they cannot be God's perfect nation. They're, they're not able to walk perfectly in all of the commands that God had given them, right? They, they, in the desert, what do they do? They, they grumble about food, right? 
you know, we're grumbling about food. And so God gives them manna, provides bread from heaven every single morning. And what do they do? They grumble about that. And so God says, well, I'm going to provide you quail as well. Uh, they, they question if God is really with them. At a couple points in their journey, they question, is God really with us during this journey? All right, he pulled us out of Egypt. Did he really come with us? Is he with us? And we'll look at some scripture where they actually ask that question, or they make that accusation against God that he is not with them. He is not with them. They're going to fall into the temptations of idolatry, right? They're going to walk into this promised land that God had given them, you know, land flowing with all this great stuff. And God said, this is where I'm going to plant you. This is where I'm going to place you, all right? And you're going to be my people. And they were supposed to get rid of all the idols and, and kick out some other folks in that land so that they could be God's holy people. And they didn't really fulfill all of that. And what happened? They've got idols around them. What happened? They started bowing down to them. They started worshiping them. They started um, looking at those idols as their, uh, for their, their safety and security. They proved that they could not be God's perfect nation. They couldn't follow all the commands that God had given. Hence the need for a man who would come and be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Because if God's called out people couldn't follow the commands and, and walk as a holy nation, can we do that? No, not perfectly. No, they were just the model, the example to show us that, no, this does not work. This is not going to work. We need someone else to come and to bear this burden for us. We come, we all come from the line of Adam, Adam and Eve, right? We all have that sin nature that was introduced into the world by our first father and our first mother. We all have that in common. The nation of Israel was looking forward to, and, and the world was looking forward to, the perfect Messiah who would bring salvation to their nation and to the world. And this is what we look back on us. The, the temptations that Jesus is going to go through, some things that we will struggle with as well, but the temptations that Jesus is going to go through are specifically there brought to him to crush his ability to be the Messiah. It says that Satan's going to be the one tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Satan is using this time to try to crush Jesus' ability to actually be this perfect Messiah, this perfect Messiah. Really, he's going to take, try to get him to take short-term um, or, or shortcuts uh, that would uh, lead to long-term destruction of his mission. So we're going to look at these temptations. Now, we struggle with temptations probably every single day. Anybody here not struggle with any temptations? You know, those things that want to pull us away from God's will, those things that want to, to take us and, and have us act in unholy ways or, or follow something other than God or uh, whatever it may be. You know, we struggle... Uh, with those every single day. Jesus is going to walk down this path to prove that he is the one who is the chosen Messiah, the hope for the world. Without Jesus, the today's Advent week is, is hope. Right? That's the theme of the first Advent week of, of hope. Uh, without Jesus, all we can hope for 
when it comes to sin and temptation, all without Jesus, all we can hope for is that God doesn't have enough fingers and toes to count all the sins and the traps that we fall into. But Luke is going to make an argument about why Jesus is the perfect Messiah and Savior of the world. He's identified with our needs uh, for, for forgiveness and repentance through, through walking through the act of baptism. He, he's shown us as, that, that he's born into the same family, the human family that, that we are uh, as we looked at his genealogy. And now he's going to identify with us by taking on the temptations of the world. Hebrews 4.15 says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Luke, along with Matthew, if you're, if you're looking at Luke chapter 4, Luke, along with Matthew and his gospel, gives us a, a really good picture of what happens to Jesus in the wilderness. Ma- Mark is really interesting. Mark uh, just kind of tells you, if you look at the gospel of Mark, Mark kind of just tells you that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. It was for 40 days. He was tempted by Satan, and he was there with wild animals. All right, just kind of gives us a, a snapshot picture of what happens here. But Luke and, and Matthew both specifically bring out, pull out what Jesus was going through during those 40 days, during those 40 days. And here we see that these temptations, Jesus walking through these temptations, successfully walking through these temptations by Satan, is another proof of the Messiah that he is the Messiah. Luke is jam-packing the beginning of this book, saying, here's the Messiah, here's the Messiah, oh yeah, here's the Messiah. Do you see it? And then he's going to get Jesus on his mission. But he's jam-packing proofs that Jesus is the Messiah. Let me read this for you. Follow along in Luke chapter 4. Uh, We'll read verses 1 through 15 here. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor in all of this authority because it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all this will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him up to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. Here we see Jesus going into the wilderness. This is both a place of solitude and a place of trial. Israel experienced great trial in the wilderness. Would they 
stand strong in their faith in God as they were wandering around in this wilderness. They complained and they grumbled and God had to add 40 years to it. It's like, you haven't learned enough, all right? We're going to keep walking around here until we learn this. Do you ever have kids? Do you do that with your kids? You know, okay, you haven't learned this lesson. We got to go over this again. And they end up spending another 40 years wandering in the, the, the desert. It's both a place of solitude. We saw that with, with John the Baptist in his ministry. John was out in the wilderness, all right, uh, getting ready and, and performing his ministry for God. Um, uh, so we see Israel following God into the wilderness, and he makes them a nation there, and he gives them the law. And we see uh, Israel, while they're out there, they falter on their commitments to follow God and allow him to bless them and to, to guide them and to teach them and direct them. We see that, that Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just go out there on his own saying, I think this is going to be a good idea. This is, this is my 12-step program to, to find God. And no, he said, I'm, he's led by the Spirit. And we see that Israel is also led by God's Spirit into the wilderness, right? The, you saw the pillar of cloud and the fire leading them out, leading them out. And so we see God's presence in the wilderness, and Jesus is led out by God's Spirit. And he's out there fasting. Anybody ever do a fast? Anybody ever do a fast for whatever reason it may be, to, to hear from God or to medical reasons or whatever? We see a couple hands there. Anybody ever do a 40-day fast? Now, I, I'm not going to stand here and recommend that. If it's not done right, it's very dangerous. All right, Jesus, the Son of God, I think he knew what he was doing. He's being led by the Spirit out there. Uh, God may call you to a dramatic fast in, in this fashion. Uh, but I would say, man, make sure you, sure you are in tune with God. Why do, why do you go out to fast? Why, why do you do a fast? There are medical reasons for it. Um, done that on occasion. Uh, but why, as believers, would we do a fast? To get closer with God. Yeah, yeah. Get rid of distractions so you can hear God. Yep, get closer to God to, to feel like, okay, I'm approaching God, I'm, and which is the getting rid of distractions, uh, to hear from God. And that's going to be one of the main points here. Dave? Dying to, self. Dying to self, getting rid of a lot of stuff. Yeah. And has anybody, uh, we, we think of fasting as food, and Jesus is fasting from food here. Uh, anybody ever fast from anything else to die from other things, other distractions? Right? You ever fast from technology, you know, Facebook, yeah, social media? That's a good thing to fast from every once in a while. Um, yeah, uh, the number of ways you can do fast. But to do a fast, you want to draw near to God. You want to hear from God. And oftentimes that requires, okay, I got to get rid of stuff in my life so that I can be more focused on that. And Jesus does this. Jesus does this. And he was out there praying. Jesus was out there praying and fasting for 40 days. I think as Jesus is out there in, these, in, the, in the wilderness for 40 days, one of the things he's thinking about and asking his father about is, what kind of Messiah will I be? What are your plans for me? Um, we often see Jesus walking into the wilderness, and it's like, well, of course he's going to accomplish his task because he's God, right? And we, we really pull in his divinity. And he's like, we're relying on his divinity 
to get him through, which takes away his relatability to us, all right? Well, of course, Jesus, of course, Jesus, but Jesus was a man of prayer. We're going to see this throughout the whole gospel. Jesus was a man of prayer, and this is no exception, and I think Jesus is man God. Jesus has to be able to walk through what we walk through, experience what we experience in order to be the perfect man, the perfect Messiah. If he was just, if God was just going to pull the God card and say, yo, I'm God, and I'm just going to send down lightning, and whatever it is, I'm going to send down more and more commands, keeping it myself in heaven, away from you guys until you get it right, well, that's one way. But he said, no, that's, that's not going to solve the problem of sin. That's not going to solve the problem of being separated from my creation. Therefore, I need to come down and live and be uh, a man amongst you. The Messiah was going to be a man. Jesus was a man. So you have this combination of his humanity as well as his divinity. He's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. He's relying on God to guide him and direct him through this. I think he's, he's maybe asking the questions, what kind of Messiah, what kind of mission, what will the mission look like? You know, he could use his personal powers for, for personal ends, right? We're going to see a little bit of that in the temptation. Messiah, they were, they were expecting a, a great nation to rise up around the Messiah. Troops to be rallied, swords to be drawn, chariots to be ridden through the streets, and the Messiah was going to lead the procession, lead the parade. The Messiah was going to lead them into this, this great military victory that would ultimately rule the world, spreading out from Israel and ultimately rule the world. Jesus is going to perform miracles, but is he going to perform miracles just to wow people? Just to wow people? Or is there a better, bigger purpose behind that? Jesus doing all of this in the wilderness for 40 days as he's praying and fasting and communing with his Father. The Greek for tempting, the Greek word for tempting, means a couple of different things. All right, it can mean, actually it can mean God testing his people. God bringing a test to his people. We see this in the wilderness, all right? We see this in the garden, you know, that God bringing a test is not a negative thing, as in trying to draw us into sin. God is not trying to draw us into sin. God's testing is, is meant to reveal our hearts. It's meant to uh, reveal our, where our hearts and our minds will go, all right, where our faith is. We see a, a tree in the garden. We see Israel wandering in the desert. We see Israel given laws, all right? God can test his people, put tests in front of us. Will you truly follow me. Will you truly follow me? We may test God. Another way to, to look at this, this uh, temptation testing is we may test God, all right, in the sense of provoking him through what one commentator said, unreasonable demands contrary to our faith. Israel did this in the desert. Israel did this in the wilderness. Exodus 17, 2 says, so the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink, why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is God really among us? Well, he better prove himself. He better show us. This is what we want. A third sense is when we are tested by other people, Jesus specifically by Satan here in the wilderness. An attempt, this, this is the kind of testing that's an attempt to draw us into sin, which will further separate us from God. And this is what Jesus is going to go through in the wilderness. It says that he was tempted by the de- devil for these 40 days. And Jesus had eaten nothing. He's fasting, he's praying, and the devil comes to tempt him in this time. The devil here is called Satan. Satan. Uh, Satan means adversary. Satan means adversary. It can be slanderous, malicious. Um, and here we see the adversary of God coming after Christ. We're reminded of this, like in Matthew 16, Jesus turns to Peter after Peter had said something really stupid. All right, Jesus turns to, to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Now, I don't think that Jesus is actually saying that, no, you are the devil to Peter. He's saying that you are the Satan. He's using it as uh, you are a descriptor of the Satan. All right? You are my adversary right now. You are trying to foil my mission. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Satan is the adversary of God and God's plans. One of the things that Jesus needs to prove is that he is the true son of Israel, the one who can deliver the nation uh, and bring salvation to the nation. And so we see three temptations that Jesus goes through here. We'll walk through these briefly here. Devil comes out and says, hey, I know you're hungry. I know you're hungry, all right? You've been here praying and fasting for 40 days. I know you're hungry. Uh, Verses 3 through 4, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Why don't you just, you know, cut out the hunger part? You know, it's going to help you out. You're going to get some nourishment. You're going to get your energy back. Why don't you tell that stone, you can take that stone and tell it to become bread. Tell it to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. This goes back to Israel's temptations in the wilderness as well, where uh, Israel is, is tested, and they're there for the 40 years in the, the wilderness, and they're, they're tested to see whether they would keep God's commands or not, and they, they themselves grumble about the bread, and they grumble about the water, and they grumble about all of that, those, those daily needs. Is, is God really going to take care of us? Israel's faith is tested. Israel's faith in God is tested. Israel found this lesson very difficult, and they grumbled against Moses, and God had to humble them in that. Where Israel fails this test, we see Jesus proves his faith in his Father's provision. Right? What does he say? What does he say? Is he he relying on the bread? Is he relying on that? Uh, He says, no, no, man must not live on bread alone. Matthew is going to go further. 
Matthew's going to go further in the gospel and say, man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is where I find my nourishment. This is where I pride, find my provision. This is where uh, I get my, my energy fund. Jesus is going to say that, that uh, when the disciples come back to him and, and they know he's hungry, they were sent out and they're gathering food and they come back and, hey, Jesus, have some of this food. And, and Jesus says, what? He says, oh, you don't know. I've got other food. And they're like, what other food? What other food? Oh, it's, it's doing the will of my father. It's following the will of my Father, doing what my Father commands me to do. We can't underplay, of course, that Jesus was hungry. I mean, he had been in the desert, in the wilderness. It's hot. It's dry. There is not a lot out there for 40 days praying, praying. And this is where the enemy comes and tempts him. When he looks like he's, he's weak and he's vulnerable, and he's, he's off guard. Because what happens when you're hungry? Ever, anybody ever get hungry? We call it hangry in our house, right? You, you miss a meal or you're getting up to a meal and you haven't had food for a little while, all right? And, and the attitude starts coming out and then maybe the kids are running around and they're all, they're, they got an attitude or what they don't want to obey or whatever because you're hangry, you're vulnerable, you haven't had enough to eat, right? Jesus, Jesus Satan comes to Jesus at that time and says, I know you are hungry. Why don't you just go ahead and provide for yourself? Try to, try to get what you need on your own. When we're hungry, our minds are not always in the right place, are they? I mean, when you, do you make great decisions when, when your body has not, not had enough food or, or water to drink? Our minds kind of race, all right? They become a little cloudy, all right? We, we're not in the best state of mind. But a mind finding rest in God will be able to make better decisions, right? Because it's not about what I have to do, but it's about what God is doing for me. And Jesus knew the importance of relying on God's provision. And he says, he goes further, he says, uh, you know, we rely on the word that comes from the mouth of God and not just from bread alone. It's interesting that the devil comes to him and says in verse 3, if you are the Son of God, this is where Jesus needs to prove his position as Messiah. This if, we can read it as a question, but it's also kind of a statement. It can be translated either if or since. The devil knows who Jesus is. This is, this is why Satan is coming for him. This is why there's not some other minion. Why, well, you know, it's your, your first day out. Why don't you go and tempt Jesus? No, no Satan knows. He needs, we need the big guns out. Because this, this, is, this is life, literally life and death for the world. All right? If Jesus does what Jesus is supposed to do, this is life and death for the world. This, this, is, this is Satan losing his grasp on humanity and the world around him, losing his authority, losing his power, losing his position that he has tried to take and tried to hold on to. Jesus, Satan knows that this is life and death, and he comes in and says, if or since he knows Jesus is the Messiah, and what he's going to try to get him to do is try to prove it by using his own means, his own power, instead of relying on the power of God, his Father. 
at this time. He's going to again try to crush his aspirations as Messiah. He's going to try to crush his power to be the Messiah, the way God intended the mission to go. He's going to try to sideline Jesus. If we can sideline Jesus, get him to go another way, get him to step off the path, get him to act in his own power, his own might, whatever it may be, then we know we crush God's plans for the salvation of the world. And ultimately, Satan and his forces being kicked out. And so he comes to him saying, I know you're hungry. Why don't we just start there? I know you're hungry. Before we have a conversation, before we start chatting, why don't you go ahead and get some bread and make it, right? I know you can, because you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the miracle worker who's going to do wondrous things. Why don't you just start here providing it for yourself? Jesus says, no, no. That's not part of the plan. Man does not live on bread alone, but on the Word of God, following the Word of God, God's plans, His goals, His will. He comes at him with another temptation, took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, it's interesting, if you look at Matthew, Matthew is going to list this miracle as third. Luke lists it second. I think Luke is, is making a progression here, almost as he's thinking about the nation of Israel wandering the desert and making connections there, where, where Matthew, they all have the same temptations. They, they, they both list the same temptations, but Matthew, go back and read it, he's like, wait, wait, Matthew puts this one third, all right? Well, Luke's doing something different here. Luke says he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Imagine that. Imagine that. Jesus has this vision with Satan, and they see all the kingdoms of the world. All right? That, I'm, I'm thinking he's looking at the past. He's looking at the present. He's looking at the, the future. All right? And these are all of the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor. I'll give you all these kingdoms, their splendor, all this authority, because it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anybody I want. If then you will just worship me, all of this will be yours. Well, we know Israel was drawn away from worshiping the Lord, right? They were drawn away into idolatry. They stumbled into idolatry. And the second temptation alludes to Israel's chasing after other gods, can we get the Messiah to chase after other gods like Israel did before him? They have been told, don't go after other gods. You know, stay away from them. Kick them out. God is a jealous God. He wants our, our total attention, our total communion. And the devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, but what does he have to do? He has to worship someone else besides God, his Father. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. And Satan here, Satan here tells some eh, half-truths, and, he, and I think he, he, he puts in a little, a little lie in here too. You know, I, I've been given all this authority. This is all, uh, this is all mine. Well, Satan's one who takes and destroys, all right? Satan's propping himself up as, as more important in this world than, than God is, Okay? Satan has been trying to take God's creation since the beginning of time. All of this is mine. I own all of this, and you can have it all. You just have to worship me. But Jesus proves 
his loyalty to God's plan, his loyalty to his Father. Verse 8, Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Unlike the Israelites, who were so often ensnared by idolatry, Jesus affirms his loyalty to God by refusing the devil. And quoting this verse in Deuteronomy, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's also interesting, interesting note, all the scripture that Jesus is quoting, everything that Jesus replies is, is a scripture back to the devil, right? Jesus knows the word of God, right? And I think he helped write this thing. So Jesus knows the word of God. You know, man must not live on bread alone comes from Deuteronomy 8. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Jesus is pulling from Scripture as he replies to Satan, as he gives Satan an answer. And think the most basic lie that the devil comes at us with is, is that we should be worshiping something else other than God. We should be worshiping idols, something other than God. The scriptures spell out that it can take many different forms. We see Adam and Eve were deceived by promises of power, God-like power. You're going to be like God, right? If you just eat that fruit, you will be like God. We see the Israelites bowing to the idols of the other nations, you know? We're, we're going to give you more security, more prosperity if you just bow down to these other idols. And here Satan comes again to God's chosen man and offers him power. He offers him power. I will give you power. I will give you the power that you desire. But Jesus won't take him up on the offer of this, this shortcut of power and authority. Satan's going to put him through a third test in verse 9, he took him up to Jerusalem to stand on the pinnacle of the temple. This is in Matthew, this is the second temptation for Jesus. Luke puts it as the third. I think Luke is building here. Luke is building here uh, a journey of Jesus going to Jerusalem. And so I think this is why he puts him here at Jerusalem in this, this temptation and, and lists it last here. He took him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. It was said that the Messiah would actually appear at the highest point in the temple. The, the nation of Israel would look for this. The, the nation would say the Messiah would appear at the highest point of the temple. Satan takes him there and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, this is the devil talking, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. We saw in Exodus 17 that uh, Israel tests God's presence, all right? They, they, after their grumbling about uh, food and water, their reply to Moses is, is the Lord among us or not, all right? Is the Lord among us? He better show himself. He better act. He better do something pretty dramatic to show that he is with us, or else we are not sure and we want to do our own Thing. Is the Lord among us or not? And Jesus says, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. Do not test the Lord your God. Jesus knows that he is in his Father's hand. He is, he is there, that his Father is 
with them, with him. He has been led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He's being guided by the Spirit. And he's not there to put the Lord God to a test. It would have been, it would have been a mighty sight for the people in the temple. Imagine all the people in the temple. Jesus shows up at that highest point in the temple and jumps from that down and is caught by the angels and is floated down on the wings of the angels down in a, in a uh, imagine that being his entry into the world. That's going to dazzle some people. That's going to draw some people in, right? We, we all love a good show, right? right? You, want to, you want to be surprised. You want intrigue. You want mystery. You want all that excitement in a show. Jesus throwing himself, jumping off the temple, leaping off the temple, angels catching him, bringing him down to earth would have been a good show, a good way of gathering people to himself saying, hey, now we're out and I'm leading the charge, all right? But Jesus says, do not test the Lord your God. That is not God's plan. That is not the way that God is going to introduce this mission and the survival here on the earth. Where Israel continued to fail in all of these temptations, in all of these ways, Jesus proves that he is the true representation of what Israel was called to do. He is the true son of Israel. And he passes the temptations. And the devil departs. It says, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. I think that for a time is really important. We see that Jesus passed these trials given by the devil. But it doesn't stop there. All right? Luke knows where Jesus is heading. Luke knows where Jesus is marching. Luke knows what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus would face more trial, more temptation throughout his ministry, throughout his life, as he is walking to the cross. This is not the end. This is not saying, oh, Jesus did it, it was done, and then it was smooth sailing all the way as he's working and, and accomplishing his mission. No. He departed from him for a time. Jesus won't be deterred, though. Jesus won't be deterred. Where our first father, Adam, fell, where Israel, God's chosen people, continued to fall, Jesus passes the test. Jesus does what we cannot do. This is why this is a test of his, uh, test of Messiah. Will Jesus prove be who he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to do? Uh, Hebrews 4 again says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. None of us sitting here can claim that scripture for ourselves. We can claim the parts about being tempted and going through trial, but can we claim the part of doing it without sin? No. Jesus proves that he is the true Messiah of the world. One of the big or main applications that I, I find often from this section of Scripture, because of what Jesus does, and because of how Jesus confronts the devil, is that we need to rely on the Word of God. And that is true. Jesus, as he's tempted in all of these ways, quotes Scripture gives back to Satan God's word. But that's not the 
final answer. That's not the, actually the main application of this passage, because what does Satan do? Satan, Satan figures this out and says, oh, well, Jesus is going to quote scripture to me, so what am I going to do to Jesus? I'm going to quote some scripture to him, right? Satan knows the word of God as well. The demons, those who come against us, know the word of God as well. What, is this, what does Satan try to do? He twists it. He turns it. He takes it out of context and presents it to Jesus on a plate. But Jesus won't be fooled by that. What is the application of this text? Is it just that we need to learn the Word of God? That's a good thing. That's a great thing, a very powerful thing, but that's not the main application of this text. The main application of this text is that God, that Jesus, excuse me, that Jesus is God's Son. Jesus is the one who accomplished what we could not accomplish. I would dare say that none of us here have had a direct encounter with Satan. I mentioned it earlier. We, we've been tempted. We've been tried. Uh, the, 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 the devil is going to send out his forces to, to try to destroy everything good that God has created. All right? Satan knew what was at risk with Jesus coming to this world to do what Jesus was supposed to do. Life and death for everybody on this planet. What Luke is showing us here is that Jesus is God's true son. And when we come to this, I've seen too many preachers give the application that really it comes down to, hey, take two Bible verses and then, you know, call me in the morning kind of thing. You know, hey, just do that. And that's what you have to do. The, the true application is when we are tempted, where does our trust go? Jesus, when he was tempted, his eyes automatically went back to his father and the will of his father, his father's provision, his father taking care of him, his father having a plan. His food is that he will do the will of his father. He will trust in his father. When we are tempted, where do we go? Where do we go? Jesus is the only one who was able to stand up to Satan's temptations. We see Adam and Eve fall in the garden against this kind of temptation. Jesus is the only one, the only man who was able to stand up to this temptation. He goes to his father. He communes with his father. He trusts in his father's will. He knows what his father has said. Do we trust when we're tempted to go to Jesus? Do we press into Jesus? The best strategy we have when the enemy comes against us is to run to Jesus. He is our strength. He is our shield. He is our high priest who prays and intercedes for us. He is our victory and our confidence. I think each and every one of us here struggles with temptation. Close your eyes for a second. Think for a moment of those things in your life that draw you away from God. Do you have a, a picture of something? Something in your life that continually tries to draw you away from God, that, that continually tries to suck the life out of you instead of bringing you life? 
It may promise you things. It may make great promises to you, but ultimately it, it sucks the life out of you. It destroys the life in you instead of giving you life. I want us to open our hands for a minute. Keep your eyes closed. Open your hands. Have those hands in front of you. Do we lay those things that we struggle with, those temptations, those trials? Have we laid them at the feet of Jesus? Running to Jesus. Knowing that Jesus walked to the cross because we couldn't. All, all the stuff that we hold in our hands right now that we're thinking about holding in our hands, the things that draw us away from God, there are these stumbling blocks along the way that continue to separate us, that continue to drive wedges in our relationship with God, that are, that, that are there to, like I said, destroy instead of bring life. Jesus walked his way to the cross so that he could bear the burden of that. So that he could hold the weight of that as the only one who could. As we have these things in our hands, as we're, we're thinking about these things that we continually struggle with, are, can we put them, can we lay them down at the feet of Jesus, trusting in him as our Savior and our Lord? Can we lay these down at the foot of Jesus? Take a few moments just to pray silence.